Amen. Well, it is. Uh, it's good to be back. I uh, I was home. I was in Texas, and uh, my mom made a point to buy me a shirt. They they make these shirts that has the you know imprint of the state on it, and then it just says home. And she's like, I bought this for you, and I was like, Amen. Thank you. You know, and then I wore it like multiple times while I was there. It's a very soft shirt. You know, but being back in Texas. You know, there's always a little part of me that will knows, like, I'm from Texas, but I'm like, but I'm from Vermont now. You know, it's like, when I think of, like, home, like, this has become so much my home. And I love it here. Now, I, I'm going to, I'm not actually even starting my sermon yet. I, I just want to give a little bit of a preamble and just to say, I'm going to share a bit personally today. Um, and a little more than I think I normally do. Uh, Kristen always tells me, you need to share vulnerably. And I'm like, okay, I try. She's like, more vulnerably. I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, so why don't we go ahead and pray, and we'll get started this morning. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, um, we just come before you. I come before you, and I pray that your spirit be on each and every one of us. Be with me as an instrument of your will. Pray that my life... Um, is a, is a light and a lamp that I can be the example that I know that uh, I can be for you, God. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be yours, Jesus. I'm grateful for the chance to seek you and know you. pray that each and every heart here this morning can uh, just connect with your word and to have some discernment of what is going on in our own hearts and our own minds and, and where we truly are and where we want to go and, and where we are called to go, Lord. Let your spirit work powerfully on us. Use me as an instrument of your will. Guide me. Uh, let my lips be yours, Father. Uh, and just to lead the hearts in the way that you desire all to be led, Father. We praise you and give you honor and glory in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. And well, in, uh, so in October of 1858, all right, so obviously not my life. I'm not that old. And uh, in October of 1858, there was a, a yes, yeah, Peter's life, actually. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, the, uh, there was a young boy who was born, and uh, this, this baby would eventually grow up to be uh, a, a little boy who had crippling asthma. I mean, he would just, he would struggle even to do like some moderate sort of physical activity. And doctors kind of thought, like, you know, he's, he's always going to be sick. You know, who knows how long he'll live. You know, it, it just was one of these things that they're like, we don't know. But this person eventually grew to be a, an individual who was known for being a great athlete, a, a incredible uh, person of vitality and energy, a, a indomitable spirit that was just like, Considered like an unstoppable force in so many ways. Uh, and he, he would become known for so many more things, but in particular, many will remember him as the 26th president of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt. And he had to, he had to struggle a lot as a young kid to, to get past what that was. And he, he worked vigorously to, to better himself and, you know, kind of work on his own body and even knowing what his struggles were. And I, I found him personally, you know, Zach and I have talked about this a little bit. He's like 
we, we share like a little bit of a man crush on Teddy Roosevelt because he's just an exceptionally inspiring man. I mean, it was one of the first biographies I've ever read. Uh, and I was just in awe of, of who he was. I think I read it as like a sophomore in high school. And I don't know why I did. I mean, I love to read books. For some reason, I picked that one up and I was just fascinated by it. But he gave this speech in April of 1910 uh, that is, is one of probably the most inspiring quotes, I think, in modern history. At least for me, it certainly is. And, and this was it. He gave this in Paris. Uh, it, and he writes, It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood and who strives valiantly, who errs and who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause, who at the best knows at the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat. You know, as, as this scripture, I read this and I cannot help but for me think that is the life of a Christian he has described. You know, I believe that to pursue Jesus as his disciple requires that you dare greatly. And anything short is unbecoming. You know, when we accepted the mantle of Christian. Whether we realized it or not, we entered into a covenant of the elect and of the elite. Because few will ever say, yes, I will put everything on the line. I will give my entire life. No matter what comes, I will never turn away. I will never back down. I don't know what comes, but I'm here and I'm here to the end. Right? You know, I, I hope that it's true that none of us who declared that Jesus is Lord and got baptized said, yes, I will follow, but I will only put a part of myself or I will keep this part of myself to myself. One thing that's always been said is if you don't make Jesus Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. And the calling of becoming a disciple of Jesus, each and every one of us, I know that as We've studied the Bible. We made the decision, I am all in. And so at our baptism, you know, we, we know going into that water, I am giving this whole life, this new life is entirely for Jesus. And along the way, we will be marred. We will be scarred. We may be bloodied emotionally, physically, whatever it is, we know that those challenges will come. And I think that if I had been if I had known everything, and many of us, I think, would know this, if, if our faith at that time had been challenged with the challenges maybe that you face today over the last several years, maybe you wouldn't have chosen to follow Jesus. Maybe not. But when we accept it, we go, 
I expect that I will grow into this. That I will continue to seek and I will continue to pursue and I will continue to dare greatly to know and go after my God. And it may be hard, but I will be one of those whether I know the high achievement or whether I know what it is to experience failure, I will not be one of those cold and timid souls that never knew God. You know, and, and so for me, as, as I read that, I was like, oh, good grief. Challenged. Challenged by the thought of, do I still live like that? Do I still seek and dare greatly as I once did as a young Christian with the fervor that I once had that I know was with me, the passion that kept me up at night reading my Bible where I would stay up with my light on reading and reading and reading until it's like, okay, I need to go to bed because I have to get up in like four hours and go work in a hot warehouse for ten hours. You know, I, I mean, was that how I was? Is that how I am? And... I would say sometimes. If I'm being honest, sometimes. You know, I think of the idea of whether or not you are in the place now where you have been a Christian for 30 plus years. Or maybe you're trying right now, maybe you're starting your journey. Right? Maybe it's this is the beginning for you. And you're trying to make that decision of whether or not I want to start this. And the thing is, the question I really have for you is, will you dare greatly? Will you put something on the line? And by something, truly, it it comes down to everything. Not once, but today and tomorrow and the next day after it, right? And the best thing we can do is go, today, I will dare greatly. If If I, tomorrow has enough troubles of its own, does it not? We can worry about tomorrow. We we should not be thinking that way. We should look at today and go, is my heart here today that I dare greatly? I think we can look back and go, where have I been? You know, I, I think of all those who have come before me, right? The the Christians who have dared greatly. And even even before them, I, I think of Examples in the Bible of people who I look at and go, that's daring in their pursuit of coming after Jesus. Who would be, who were not daunted by the crowds, who were not daunted by possible shame or, or loss of reputation. I think of the apostles, right? The apostles, when they were called, many of them left their livelihoods. We look at, at Peter, James, and John. Jesus walks up to them and said, come and follow me. And what do we see in the scriptures? We saw that they, they immediately dropped their nets. And began to follow him. Where you, you look at the calling of Matthew as a tax collector, leaving behind probably a pretty lucrative job to come and follow Jesus. Become a disciple of Jesus. You, you think of the bleeding woman who risked her life as an unclean individual. She could have lost her life for being in the crowd in that way. And yet she said, if I can just, if I can just work through the crowd, working through the people, and there was a crush of people around Jesus. She had to be in contact with them, and she could have died for that. And she would just wanted to reach out and touch him, knowing if I can just get to him, I will be healed. I will be okay. 
she dared to put her life there. You know, I think of of the sinful woman who comes in, and she's only remembered as the sinful woman. She comes in and she weeps on Jesus' feet, taking all of her dignity. The, her pride, a woman's pride was her hair. We're just wiping someone's feet with your hair. Putting whatever pride she has left on the line. I think of, of the cripple and his friends who were daring enough to dig through the roof of someone else's house to get to Jesus. I mean, that's pretty daring. If you're going to try to dig through my roof, I'm going to be a little upset about that. But you, you think about, even you, there's a Nicodemus who came to Jesus. He was, a, he was a Pharisee. And even he put his reputation to come to Jesus. And though he came at night, he still came. I think of, you know, I think of the centurion who put his dignity his dignity on the line. He leads hundreds. He is, a, he is a Roman citizen, a soldier, a leader of leaders. And yet here he comes to a Jew to seek from him something that he needs for his daughter, right? And his family. Because he, he has faith. He was daring to put so many things. But what do you dare today? What do you think of putting on the line? You know, and there are so many more. I mean, even after the resurrection, there's, and even prior to Jesus' coming, after the resurrection, you have people who, they would, if you read through the book of Acts, you have the folks who brought their magic scrolls, right? They had all of these scrolls for sorcery and witchcraft, and they burned hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, just an incredible amount of wealth that they burned. Because they go, this is us, we're, we're giving away this life. We're no longer going to be this person. And you look at those who sold their houses and sold land just to support other Christians. I mean, talk about daring faith, right? I mean, and we can say monetary systems are different from then to now and all sorts of things, and I think that's very true, and, and I'm not telling anybody to sell their house. Uh, but I think at the same point, listen to the Holy Spirit, uh, but I would say, uh, again, I'm not telling you to do anything. But I would just say that, are you daring to listen to the Spirit? Do you dare to listen? Do you dare to seek the will of God today? You know, uh, even those who came before, I think of the Hall of Faith. And, and if you've got your Bible, turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. But in the Hall of Faith, it talks about those who came before and it says, they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned that something better, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You know, I've talked about the idea a couple of years ago about the idea of the hall of faith. And you think of the people of faith who have gone before us. And if you envision that my life is my journey down this hall to take my place at the end to cheer everyone on who comes after what is your journey? And you think of all the people cheering and 
and rooting for you and calling to you, the people of faith. And, and that, is the, that is the line that we walk down. And, and the lineage of faith that we get to be a part of. People who are daring. And so I think of these people, of so many who've come before, and, and I, I read this passage here in Hebrews 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, the, the whole of the book of Hebrews is this incredibly eloquent, well-articulated, well-thought-through, logical argument for faith for the Hebrew people. It's beautiful. And if you, if you go through and you read it and you study it, I mean, even it just as a, as a non-Hebrew, if you just go and read the book of Hebrews, you'll be inspired. But if you go and, and look at it as, as they did, I mean, it's, it's this incredible argument. But the thing that the, the Spirit keeps saying again and again and again to the Hebrew people, and, and really to us, the Christians now, He's saying, again and again, he implores us, persevere. Don't give up. And don't just survive. Don't just survive in the process. He's like, thrive in this time. It doesn't, it doesn't say don't just kind of keep moving down the road. He says, no, no, no. Race. Run this race with perseverance. Right? You know, this scripture for me is one that I've committed to memory. I've had committed to memory for years. Um, I've mentioned it so often, I feel like, that I expect that many of you have probably memorized it because you've heard me read it so many times. Um, But something that is really clear to me is that just because you've memorized, just because I've memorized a scripture, doesn't mean that I obey that scripture. I feel like I'm an example of not obeying it, and I, I want to share why. Um, you know, in the whole process, it's it's actually I was trying to even think about for quite some time even how to begin to share about all of it, and so I won't because I can't. But the short of it is, you know, I've been in a funk personally. Uh, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, not for a little while. And I can tell you unequivocally that the fall of last year is the hardest I have ever worked in my life. And that's on top of adding another amazing little person to my house. You know, um, 
I can tell you a number of reasons how I think I got into a funk or why I got into a funk. Uh, but the one I believe to be the most true is that I've allowed myself to be distracted from my wholehearted, honest pursuit of Jesus. I've allowed myself to hang on to my hindrances. You know, denying, you know, trying as with care and might and struggle and fight to get rid of the sin and cast those things off. Because sin, it's clear, the sin will kill you, right? But the hindrances are the things that just weigh you down, that stumble you, that make you, that you just, you try to carry and you try to carry and just as you try to run that race, it's just going to make you weary. Um, and I, I, I haven't done that. You know, I've, I've let myself become distracted. And the saying I've developed for myself is that I have not rested well. I've not rested well. Um, you know, I have, I have no intention for this to be a cry for help or anything like that. I, it's really just an honest sharing of how this scripture applies to me. And I suspect that many of you could relate. Um, I'm a minister of the gospel. Yet, at the same time, it's a struggle to handle the work of the ministry at times and yet still maintain a close relationship with Jesus. As, as odd as that sounds. Because my work is to be in the scriptures. You know, it's like, like I, I spend probably more time, I don't know, about maybe just a couple, but I spend more time in the Bible than probably most anybody else in the room. Um, but that doesn't inherently make you close to Jesus. Um, I've also found, because, because it can become more about work than about connection. Okay. And so for me, though, I, I look at this and I think of this idea of I, I have not rested well. What do I mean by that? You know, when the scriptures say we fix our eyes on Jesus and to consider him so that you will not become weary and lose heart. I've accepted that as true. But tried to do it. Well, as I said, not doing verse one, I've just hung on to my hindrances. I haven't cast off everything that hinders. I've, I feel like I've done a lot to remove the sin that so easily entangles. And I have other character sin that I still continue to work with. And I mean, those will always... I, I think that people can overcome those things. But those are battles that people will still have to continue for the rest of their lives. Right? Characters, character sin is something we will all struggle with. So... But for me, I have known for some time that I have become a receptacle for all types of media. Uh, audio, video, print. Uh, being able to sit and have a quiet time for 10 minutes where I didn't try to pick up my phone, open an app, think about the news, go wander off into some random thought has been a, an exercise of will that I have often lost. Mainly because I have allowed myself to become hindered and encumbered by bad habits and worldly practices. You guys with me? You know, I would spend more time on Netflix 
or reading the news than I would spend reading my Bible. I don't, and, and this is for me, but I don't know when I traded um, being a, pe- a person of the word for a person of Daredevil Season 2. I don't, I don't know when I traded being a seeker of Jesus rather than a seeker of the good place. You know, that's uh, it's some other TV show if you've never heard of that one. You know, it's, it's, I became so much more about finding my enjoyment in the things of the world and in, in refresh, quote unquote, refreshment, uh, from the things the world tries to tell me is, is gonna help me feel better. And really it's just a distraction. It's just a distraction. And, and it's made it harder for me to find my joy and connection in Jesus. Can anybody else relate? You know, um, I'd, I'd spend more time listening to Audible than I would in prayer or even listening to other sermons. Moments of quiet, which are hard in a house with two small children, but moments of quiet or even, even things that are monotonous where your brain can do other things, I chose to take as time to listen to something, to read something, or play something in the background. Because, I mean, I've had cooking dinner became set up my laptop and play something rather than be present in the process that I'm doing and let myself go through my day and how I'm feeling and what's going on. And I didn't process what, where my life was. I didn't pray anymore just sporadically because there's always something on. There's always been something playing. And it's hindered me in my walk. Um, If every few minutes my heart, my mind, and my eyes are leaping off the page, or my heart and my mind are flittering from my prayer or to something else, how do you pursue something you cannot focus on? How do I pursue something I cannot focus on? I developed a slew of habits that had become hindrances, and they were constantly weighing me down and trying to pull me off track. You know, directly it was hurting me. Um, indirectly, it was neg- negatively impacting many, including my friends and my family. You know, not thinking until my friends are, you know, talking to me like, I'm trying to reach out to you, but you don't get that I'm trying to connect with you. My wife feeling frustrated because I'm just, I'm never thoughtful is what it comes to. Because I haven't been thinking about what's going on in my life. I'm just going from one work thing to a sort of a distraction thing. And that leaves me to be thoughtless, you know, and, and hurting people. And so I, I've, I've talked about this before. I've talked about the, the media stuff before with the personal, with the church, and talked about how it can affect everybody and how we can spend too much time doing it. For myself, my personal step, in that has always been to try to have more moderation of my hindrances. I try to moderate the things that hinder me more. Um, but that isn't what the scriptures told me to do. It says to cast them off. It says to cast them off. You know, and so I realized that to break these habits, I needed to dare to do more so that I could be more. And so now I'm actually, I'm 45 days I'm, little, I'm more than 45 days into a three-month challenge that I set for myself. And the goal has been to break old habits 
and to build new ones that are going to help me be closer to God, more focused on my family and on my friends, and on building the church. Amen. And, and I told you, I've been in this funk, right? I call it a funk. You know, Chris and I have talked a little bit about, like, should I go see somebody? Like, was it a... For me, like, I'm normally, like, you know, the me I know, like, is kind of high. It's hard to get me down. And so for me to feel mellow is, like, to me, that's, like, low. You know, so if I'm mellow, I'm low. If I'm, like, normally I'm just pretty up and, hey, you know. Uh, Or at least that's how I view myself. Uh, But the goal, I think, for me has been, as I said, to break these old habits that got me to this place. I'm not saying that for the rest of my life I'm never going to watch a movie again, right? Or I'm never going to watch TV or play a game or do something like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I've developed habits that have become so destructive that it now just entangles me in my race and I cannot have a healthy walk with God. So I've got to break these. So here's some of the things that I've done. And, and I will say I've already felt mentally, emotionally, and spiritually better. Right? I've read more books. I've finished more projects. I've had more fun. I've felt a greater measure of peace than I have in a long time. And all of this is because I started because I was just tired of feeling tired. Tired of feeling weak. And so... Here are some of the things that I've been doing and, and, and working on building new and beneficial habits. I've abstained from all movies, games, TV, news, audiobooks, social media. Like a blanket thing. Uh, vacation messed me up a little bit, I will admit. Um, it, it threw off my new routines that I've started. And, and, and there's more to this. I've been abstaining from sweets and alcohol. I've not been, all of this is the measure of saying no to myself so that I can say yes to God. Of working on my own character again, of self-control, and of controlling both my mind and my body so that I can do what's right before the Lord. Okay? And so this isn't just a a practice of like, you know, I'm not just trying to whip myself because I'm bad, bad Mike. You know, it's it's saying, (laughs) no, this is me going, I want to be able to have using the power of the Holy Spirit working in me to be a man of self-control, which is what I'm, I can be because of Jesus. And so I've abstained from sweets, from alcohol, snacking between meals. I've, consi- I've, I've um, committed to myself to be, committed myself to regular, rigorous exercise. Uh, I've made a point to get up early. I've had at least a half hour time of prayer, a half hour time of reading my Bible. Sometimes that half hour of prayer turned into an hour of prayer and so cut into reading my Bible sometimes a little bit, but I'm okay with that personally because prayer can be a weakness for me. And so if I'm spending an extra half hour praying, I feel great about that. But of doing that every day, getting up earlier to do that, sometimes even as early as 4.30 in the morning to make sure it happens. You know, one brother made a joke. He said, you can tell how much you hate your family by how early you get up in the morning. And I said, that's not what how I feel, but I definitely know that I don't want my children to wake up before 6.30 in the morning. Um, and, and so I'm getting, up, I'm getting up early to make it happen. You know, as, and, and there's a lot more. The list actually is much longer. 
Uh, and, and I will tell you about it, and I, I'll share with you what, more of what I'm doing, but there's a lot more to it. Because I'm tired of being tired. And I needed to do something that I felt was challenging and daring to my faith. That, that said, I am going to be daring in my pursuit of Jesus. And maybe I'll fail. Sometimes I'll fall. But praise God, I'm trying to dare greatly. You know, and, and get to the end, building new habits. Who knows what will be in, in 45 days from now, right? But my, my goal, as I said, is to say no to self so I can say yes to God. To devote myself to prayer like I've never prayed before in my life. You know, and I will say, I prepared my heart for like two months before I started this. I knew I wanted to do it, and I prayed about it. I got a new planner. I got a couple different books that I wanted to make sure I finished and read so that I really had the plan clearly in place. I mean, I, I did a number of things to prepare myself for it. And so all of this I just share because casting off your hindrances is not easy because oftentimes they're habits you've carried for years. Can anybody relate? And so I also asked my best friend who lives in South Florida, I asked him to do it with me. He's a, he's a minister and as well down there. And I said, hey, will you do this with me so that I have some accountability and I know that I can talk about it and we can say, hey, this is hard and da 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 and We've done it together. You know, I can tell you that after only 30 days, the funk began to fade. Um, I won't tell you it's all gone, but I'll admit that I do feel a lot better. Um, so why am I sharing all of this? Because like me, I know that many of you probably read this scripture, want to fix your eyes on Jesus, you want to run, but you just, I, I, I want to say, are, are unwilling is really what it comes down to. Because it's so stinking hard to let go of some of these hindrances. Right? And, and I want to encourage you to prepare yourself. Spend some time. Pray about these things. Make a plan. Be determined to say, hey, this date at this time, I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to move forward aggressively in my pursuit of Jesus. To dare to seek God. To dare to listen to the Spirit. You know, some of you know that you want to run, but your heart aches because you feel like you can't. You become wearied and you become weighed down by hindrances or you're entangled in sin. It's time to repent. Repent from the sin. But even repentance just doesn't have to be from sin. It can be about the other things that just hold you back. You know, or maybe some of you just aren't running. You're not even trying to run. You know, and some are running, but you're not fixing your eyes on Jesus. And that's only going to wear you out, I promise. That's, that's where I've been. My eyes getting drawn off again and again and again and trying to run full force as fast and as hard as I can, knowing the right things to do, but not having my heart I think my heart has been in the right place, but it's not been focused on the right things. My eyes have not been focused on Jesus. And so I've gotten worn out. And so here all of this, I just I want to encourage you. If you're in one of those places, 
You can change that. That's, that's the incredible thing about being a Christian, right? Is that literally the Holy Spirit is with you at any point to say, hey, you're in? All right, I'm, I'm in. I've always been with you. But now, all right, listen up. I'm with you now. Like, you hear me? I'm with you. Like, let's go. And, and you say, all right, let's go. Let me get somebody else to come with me. Let me get a brother or a sister who's going who's gonna to run this with me. You're going to pursue it with me. I'm going to go after it together. Be aggressive. If you're intimidated by it, that's daring. If you're not intimidated by it, that's probably a little timid. Be daring. Let this be a season of being daring, where your life changes radically of, in a pursuit of Jesus. I've got, a, I've got a, a video I want to show here of an incredible brother who radically changed his life. And I'm going to wrap it up right after this. It's about five minutes long, but every time I watch it, I end up saying, wow. I, it's it's, it's um, subtitled, so I'm actually going to read the subtitles for the recording, but we're going to check this out. Amen? If you type my name, Suryotan, in, in Google, you will find that Suryo is a villain, a blackmailer, a briber, and a power abuser. But this is not the end of the story for Suryotan. I grew up in a dysfunctional family. After high school, I worked in the family business as a salesman. At that time, my base salary was equal to three U.S. dollars a month. Everything changed when I got a client from the president's circle. Our company profits quickly grew over 2,000%. I built a business network, and I earned a lot of money for myself. I became greedy and focused on getting money. I was determined to get anything I wanted. In the 1990s, some of my best friends became key leaders in the government. I had a great connection to power and money, and I sacrificed my character. I would do anything, even illegal things, to get whatever I wanted. I bribed people and entertained clients and officials with women and orgy parties. People thought I was a hard worker, but I really only worked for two hours a day. The rest was party time. I became a very big spender. I would spend about $500,000 a month. Even though I did this, I went to church every Sunday. I would come with different women and holding her hand, I would sing the hymns. I believed in seeking God, but only because I wanted His blessings. In 2003, I met Christina. 
She was a gun trader. And I married her that year. But I still lived in adultery and cheated on her. In 2006, she signed me up for a Christian retreat, men's camp. I attended men's camp, but I didn't know why. In that retreat, for the first time, I confessed my sins before the small group. Then I called my wife and confessed to her. I told her, when I meet the president and important people, I always wear my jacket and formal suits. I need to treat God even better than the president. After the retreat, I made a commitment. I began waking up every day at 2.30 a.m. I would shower and then put on my jacket and formal suit. And then I would go pray to God. Even though I didn't understand how to pray, I prayed and sang hymns from 3 a.m. until 7 a.m. And then I read the Bible until 11 a.m. I prayed for six months to gain understanding of God's word. One day I met my neighbor in the apartment elevator. He was studying the Bible with some brothers. And I asked to join. The brothers did a Bible study with me about seeking God. And from that moment, problems came to me. I was reported to the police and sued with nine lawsuits. They slandered me and my wife. God used the situation to help me understand his word. The brothers encouraged me to repent, as the Bible says. I took initiative to meet my enemies and apologize to them. I also closed my businesses that were not righteous. And consequently, I had no income for three years. I lived simpler, living on $400 a month. I cried and struggled for my marriage. I struggled and cried to forgive my enemies. I cried so much during my first three years as a disciple. Now I can see how God has changed my life. He changed my bad character. God blesses me so much now. After three years of struggling financially, God blessed my business with a new offer from a client. I have a beautiful wife, three sons, and a blessed business. Even until now, I still wake up at 3 a.m. I shower, then I pray, and I do my quiet times. I wear my jacket and formal suit when I do. I do this because of my God, my respect and faith to my God. Amen. You know, I, I've watched that, and I just say, wow. I mean, talk about a life that's, like, radically changed. Someone who just radically pursued Jesus. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, it's to to give up so much to say I'm going to be a Christian. To go to the people who are suing you and and handle it the way that the Bible actually tells us to. Right? To to confess and to get open and to deal with all of that. I mean, amazing. But at the same time, I go first time I, a couple times I watched this video I was like, that guy's awesome. But I guess the the question I began to ask myself is which guy is awesome? Is that guy awesome or is Jesus awesome? Because he's looking at Jesus and that's radically changing him. And I think of radical change. Think about this. This guy, by 11 a.m., had spent seven hours praying and reading the Bible. I mean, like, I'm up here talking about I'm, a half, I'm having half hour, you know, prayer times and a half hour time reading my Bible, you know. And, <laughs> and I feel like crazy victorious with small kids. And, you know, sometimes that's longer, but I mean, it's not that. But that's where I look at it and go, you know what? Daring is going to be somewhat different for each of us. Right? I don't know his life and what made it possible for him to be able to spend all of that time doing that. But what does daring look like for you? What is that pursuit that's like, I am after this? I, as far as I know, 4.30 is, is still two hours after 2.30. You know, and that's the earliest I've gotten up, and that has not happened a lot of times, I promise. But I'm just saying, what, how are you doing? Can, can we, you know, for this year, we've talked about the theme for the year is connected in Christ. The focus is there, our prayer, care, share, and dare. Those were a bookmark that everybody, that, that we handed out to pretty much everybody in the church at the beginning of the year. We're gonna connect with God through prayer, right? We're gonna connect with one another through caring for each other. We're going to uh, share. We're going to connect with our community through sharing and, and trying to love our communities, right? We're going to dare to listen to the Holy Spirit. What if we let this season be a season where we're all more daring? Where we dare to seek after God maybe like we've never done before. To, to dare not only to seek, but to obey. To look at the scriptures and say, I'm going to apply right now what I see and go after it. To seek with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like so many of us said, yes, I will do. I will do just that. Let's pray about it. Let's think about it. And I pray that this season really is a season where we dare to seek after him. Amen.